Hello everyone, my name is Rudy Rosique. I'm a senior here at Syracuse University. I'm studying health and exercise science on the pre-physical therapy track. I'm a Navy veteran. And today in this podcast, we're gonna have four individuals from the four biggest branches of the military. And we're just gonna talk about the difference of each one and stereotypes of each one, and just go over their time in the military and see like what is the true difference and why we speak about different branches. So today I'll start off with Freddie Buweka, who's a Navy veteran pre-med here, I'll let him introduce himself. Hey everyone, my name is Freddie Bavacqua. I am a junior at Syracuse University in the Falk School of Exercise Science. I am in the pre-medical track, and I'm a Navy veteran. Jack, what are you? Hi everyone, my name is Jack Polano. I'm also a student of the Falk School Health and Exercise Science uh, pre-physical therapy track, and I did four years in the Air Force before coming to Syracuse. All right, James, how about yourself? My name is uh, James Earl, and I'm a uh, Army veteran. I'm a senior at the College of Arts and Science with a sociology major. Cool. How about uh, you, bud? I'm Brian McDonald. I'm a junior. I'm also in Falk uh, as a social work major, uh, and I did seven years in the Marine Corps. All right, so the first question we're going to have is why you choose your individual branches. I'll just go first. I was in the Navy, and uh, my uncle, three years older than me, he's in the Navy, and I was like, you know, I really want to pay for college. I was like, you know, whatever he did it, I'll do it. I did a tiger cruise on the Navy. So I went on this uh, carrier and it was awesome. I ate ice cream like every every two days. I ate ice cream there. Chicken wings, all you could eat every single day on the line. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I can't wait to join the Navy. I found out pretty soon that that's not the reality of the Navy. I got stuck in a submarine. He was on a carrier, totally different lives. And the reason I chose submarine because they told me I could make more money. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And that was the best and worst decision I ever made. But now I'll hand it off to uh, Brian McDonald over here to go why he joined the Marines. Kind of the same thing, family members. My uh, grandfather was a Marine in Korea, and that was my biggest push for that. And I also, I wanted to be the best in the infantry. And now, you know, they have that, that kind of reputation. Walked in to the recruiter, and they were kind of happy because I just told them, yeah, I wanted infantry, and they were like, yep, sign the line here. See you know what infantry was before you enlisted? What the infantry was before I enlisted? You know what it was? What like, do you, you know what that mean, meant, infantry? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's okay. what, that was my goal. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be in the fight. I wanted to be ground pounder, and I did it. Yeah, you really have the face for that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, man, how about yourself? You know, I always wanted to be in the Army, ever since I was a little kid. You know, because I was, you know, on the, you ever see the movie Ghostbusters, and they're rolling down the road, and, they, and the National Guard is there, and they got all... You know, the trucks. I mean, it can't be a Ghostbuster in real life, so can be in the Army, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, and, you know, I chose um, the infantry as well because I also wanted to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> just picked the wrong branch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and my dad, he was always trying to talk me out of it because he was like, don't be an idiot, join the Air Force. Like, he's like, you want to sleep in the mud or you want to sleep in, you know, in a foxhole? Well, I want to sleep in a foxhole. You know, there we are. I mean, both options don't sound good. Mud or foxhole? <laughs> Well, I meant to, you know, in mud or um, roof over your head. Oh, uh, I'm sleeping in a palace or in mud? So speaking of palaces, very own Air Force gentleman, Jack Polano, please tell us why you joined the Air Force. Oh, well, thanks for introducing myself for me. The Air Force for me, was just it was like the only branch that came to my mind when I didn't go to see any other recruiters. My dad was in the Air Force. He did one enlistment, went to college, and he told me to be smart, use my head join the Air Force. And I certainly don't regret that decision hearing everyone else's stories about being in the field, sleeping in the mud. So the Air Force is definitely a good choice. It's good to be the butt end of every joke now, right? Uh, I'll take those jokes, you know. <laughs> it's true, you do take them. Take some them. of the rumors are true. You know, I did spend some time in a, in a resort on a TDY. Definitely a good choice for me, the Air Force. 
Right on. So my fellow Navy veteran next, Freddie. So I'm not going to lie. When I first wanted to join the military, first branch I looked to was the Air Force. It was only because my uh, mom's boyfriend's son was in the Air Force's loadmaster in C-130s. And my mom's boyfriend at the time always talked about how much he loved that job and how much he just loved flying. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I really want to fly. I would love to just, like, fly in the military. You know, I'm announced to me, I actually did not know that the Navy had an aviation field. However, backtracking a little bit. So I was in my school, and uh, you know how they have, like, the recruiter stations, like, set up? So there was the Air Force table. I go up and talk to him, like, hey, man, I just want to fly. It's like, well, you came to the right place. So I did, did everything. I even went to New Jersey to check out one of the Air Force bases, and I was all set to join the Air Force. Something happened. He, like, broke his spine or something like that a few months later, and uh, he just completely disappeared off the face of the earth. I didn't, I couldn't go to MEPS. I couldn't, like, do anything to actually, like, follow through with the Air Force. And then that same place where the Air Force recruiter was at my school, not too long later, there was a Navy recruiter. And uh, she sees me passing. She sees me look over, and she's like, hey, you. I'm like, me? It's like, yeah. It's like, you want to join the Navy? I'm like, Nah, it's guys. I want to fly. I want to fly planes. She's like, "Well, we got planes." Oh, really? So I go up to her. I start talking to her, and she's like, "Yeah, you know, the Navy's actually got a bigger aviation field than the Air Force does. We got all the, all the cool planes too. We got all the fighter pilot, all the fighter jets, and all the little cool stuff going on over here." I'm like, oh, no way. That's why. <laughs> she uh, gave me the whole rundown and everything I need to do. Told me about like air crewmen, and she told me basically I'd be shooting uh, machine guns at the back end of a helicopter. I'm like, oh, sign me up. That's it. That's me. And yep, ended up going in, doing that. Didn't end up shooting guns at the backside of a helicopter, but I was in the aviation field in the Navy. That's why I joined, because I wanted to fly planes. Yeah, it worked out. It did in the end. You know, I had a pretty similar story, too, because when I went to... When I went to talk to the recruiter, the Air Force recruiter wasn't there. You know, and, you know, me and my buddy, we walk out, you know, we're smoking a cigarette by our car, and we were like, I guess we'll just come back tomorrow. And the Army recruiter runs out, and he's like, well, don't waste a trip. You know, come talk to us. And I'm like, okay, why not? A lot of the uh, same stories of the Air Force, I'm just not being there, taking a bunch of leave, chilling. Like I said, some of the, some of the stereotypes are very true. <laughs> All right, so now next question would be like, was it typical where you stationed? Was it typical day of your deployment if applicable? Which I think is typical for everyone in here. I didn't deploy. All uh, right, was a typical day of your deployment or a typical day of just the life of your day in the military? So for me, I was stationed in Hawaii. So I was part of a nuclear submarine uh, community out there. Hawaii was fantastic. I had to enjoy it. But on deployment, I would drive the submarine for eight hours a day. Then immediately afterwards, eat, eat terrible dry food. And it was scarce after just a couple weeks of being out to sea. Then I would clean for an hour or two right after eating, which is terrible. And then like having your, having your hand in the toilet, cleaning right after driving the submarine. And after that, I would do actual work. And then there was, we didn't have a full gym on there, but we had a one treadmill and one set of dumbbells. And that was always packed. And you always ask permission to use it first because you couldn't be very loud. So the moment they heard it, you're, you're done. You could get off it secured just because that's not the main task of the, of the overall deployment. And after I would go to sleep, and then the next day, do everything over again. So that being said, I'll hand it off to McDonald. Yeah, so I was part of the reserve, the Marine Reserves here in Syracuse. We got activated and attached to 3rd LAR out of 29 Palms, California. We did a whole bunch of work up every day, wake up, PT, chow, and then train, whether it was, uh, <clears throat> whether it was a range or rock drills, vehicle drills, uh, any, any kind of any kind of training to get ready for deployment, really. Um, and then when we deployed, we went to uh, Sinjar, Iraq, which is uh, northwest Iraq. Uh, we were north of the Sinjar Mountains, uh, right, on, right on the Syrian border. We worked a lot with the Kurds. We did some joint missions with some ODA, some Navy, 
uh, EOD, some stuff like that. Living out of our vehicles, we slept in those foxholes. That, that, was, um, that was the deployment. We'd do 50 to 60 days at a time, uh, head back to, we had a small base in Sinjar that was a highway that turned into a airstrip with four berms and an LAV on each side for security. Um, we'd do a little bit of vehicle maintenance, finally get a shower, clean our weapons, and we'd head back out. Um, we did a lot of uh, security on the border, on the Syrian border, intercepting anybody that came over, bringing anything from cigarettes to people to weapons. That was deployment. Yeah, we that was a what, six months. We went there. We got there in March of '09, and we got we left at the end of September of '09. That was that was deployment. Every once in a while, we got an Air Force base. We got to go to Telafar, go to Sykes, and that was uh, that was always a treat because they had some real food, they had some air conditioned huts. They had some gym, uh, video game lounge, the whole, they had everything. They even had, I think they even had a uh, 7-Eleven. It was, <laughs> it was nice. But that was, yeah, I think we went there like two or three times. That was deployment and uh, normal day, active duty. Part. So you said a lot of a lot of things right now. You start off with something that could really come my eye. You're a reservist? Yeah. Like out of high school, you know, I want to go reserves. No, I didn't want to go reserves. You didn't pass the ASVAB or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I passed the ASVAB. I uh, I actually did. I did a fr- my first year of college was at Brockport, out towards Rochester, and I did it to make my parents happy. I went to school and I did ROTC for one semester. Um, they had, University of Rochester had a deal with Brockport that students from Brockport could come over to Naval ROTC, and they had a Marine option, so that was what I was going to do. And then I said, forget this. I don't want to do it. I didn't want to do any of it. I wanted to enlist. That's what I always wanted to do. And I went to the recruiter, and the recruiter was like, hey, well, we need a spot in the reserves, and they're deploying in a year, so here you go. So I made everybody happy but myself, went reserves, got my deployment, then chased active duty afterwards. Um, I stayed on active orders, but on the reserve base, and I did Toys for Tots. I was funeral detail um, for older veterans and um, any KIAs. We had a couple KIAs from... Afghanistan come back home and we had to do the details for those guys. And um, yeah, so I, I tried to stay on active duty as much as I could, but it was on the reserve base. So mm-hmm. I don't mean to interrupt you, but when, when, you do, when you're doing um, like funeral duties and stuff like that, is that like in this local area, like in upstate New York, were you here for that? Yeah. I was wondering where they actually got military personnel from. Cause yeah. my grandfather's funeral, they had like, you know, the whole, um, the color ceremony and everything like that when they were lowering his casket into the grave and like where are they finding these people yeah yeah the, the, the I and I staff good old reserve is huh yeah, yeah I guess so good, good for, for something. something yeah <laughs> <laughs> we uh yeah the, the I and I staff so the active duty staff on the reserve bases <clears throat> are usually the ones that are like the liaisons for the family and, and coordinating all of that stuff and then depending on the size of the ceremony or whatever they're doing, whether it's just folding the flag or if there's a full 21 gun or, or whatever it is. It's 21 gun. If it, de- it depends on the size of it, but they'll, they'll either take volunteers of guys that can make it or like in my case, I was on ADOS orders from month to month, which is basically just active duty um, orders to work on the reserve base. And so that was my staff sergeant would go out and like meet with the family and then we would coordinate everything and actually go and do the whole ceremony and, and put together the teams that did it and did all that. Those guys were like real professional too. This was actually really cool to see. That was a that was a big that was a big part. That was an important part of being in for me. Like that was you know if, if I had to be reserved, I'm glad I at least got to do some of that. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really cool. So James, how was a typical day in your life? Um, you know, it just depends what you're doing for that day, I guess. Um, so 
you know, you're going to have your garrison days where, you know, you might be watching PowerPoint presentations or you might be cleaning weapons or, you know, practicing your battle drill. No day was the same. And then that's kind of what I enjoyed about it because, you know, there's a lot of variety. When I got to my unit after basic training, they had just come back from Iraq. So for a solid year, you know, it was pretty relaxed setting for, you know, the guys that went to Iraq, you know, they kind of made my life hell because, you know, brand new, of you know, the new Joe in, in the unit. So <laughs> me and my other privates, you know, we, uh, you know, we formed really strong friendships because, you know, we went through, you know, we went through hell together, you know, and when you're out in the field, you know, putting that, you know, battle drill practice to uh, actual use and training on stuff like react to ambush or, you know, some of the other stuff. No day was the same. You know, being in Hawaii, that's where I was stationed, in and of itself is a little different than being on a uh, bigger base too because you know you have to go to the different um, training areas on the island so Schofield Barracks it's a small it's a small base so you know you might have to go to Kaneohe Bay that's where the Marines are or Barber Point that's where the Coast Guard is the job changed by the day there was no there was no set day so I heard Marines Station Hawaii never deployed is the same thing for Army um, it it depends on it's the safe space here. Go ahead. You know, it, just, it depends on the geopolitical situation at the time. You know, the reason why I didn't deploy in from when I was in, I was in from 05 to 08. And the reason why I didn't deploy was because, you know, we the unit just came back from Iraq. So that was a year and a half of them not deploying. And then we became a mechanized unit and we got strikers. So then, you know, that's another year that we had to train on. So by the time we were all trained up on them, then North Korea was, you know, they were acting like they might declare war on South Korea. So, you know, the, the forces on Hawaii, you know, they were on a high alert pretty much. And so that was like another six months of not deploying because we didn't know what North Korea was going to do. The people in Hawaii deployed. Marines did. They did deploy. So like Australia. No, no, they they deployed. Like no. uh, everyone, I was I was stationed in Kaneohe Bay. Yeah, how are we all from Hawaii? I had a couple boys there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was also in the Pacific too. <laughs> yeah, Japan. <laughs> I had a couple boys with two three that did did some. Was it, like Jordan was two three. Two three is a, the it's one of the units out of uh, Hawaii, out of K Bay, and uh, they did some pretty gnarly stuff over in Afghanistan. They, they do. Yeah, yeah. there's some pretty they're pretty serious over there. I mean, um, and I mean, just saw the Marines I knew in Hawaii then that. <laughs> Well, uh, lucky. I mean, even in the army too, because I know I was in the second um, brigade. Our third brigade, they deployed when I was there, and then when I was getting ready, my, when my brigade was getting ready to deploy, that was when they found that you know I had a lot of hearing loss, so I ended up getting a med board. You got med boarding? Yeah, the, that was the. Uh, that's why. I mean, that's why I missed that deployment. For your looks or what? <laughs> yeah. You know, I was had, I was wondering like not shot at you at all. If your command is not deployable or not deploying, like, what do you even do? Is that feel everything our summary deal is geared toward deployment? Like, as soon as we got back, we relaxed for a month, and then we start workups again. We fix everything and start workups. You're never on home cycle, were you? No. Yeah, home cycle is a whole other kind of ball game. Home cycle is, so I surveyed years, so I had one operational tour and one uh, home cycle tour. My home cycle tour was literally, advancement was selling Krispy Kreme donuts and just <laughs> bowl. It was terrible. It was, it was much more fun being in an operational command than it was being in like a home cycle command that really you're not doing a whole lot. You're just kind of there performing like menial tasks for the most part. So uh, we'll come back to you, but Jack? So I was uh, stationed in Okinawa. Actually, Japan. wait, wait, wait. I, I'm going to cut him off. His day, he started off, he wakes up, <laughs> oh. an hour of Teletubbies. <laughs> was. Shows about two hours late for work. No, no penalty. No, no UA. No nothing. You know, the Air Force just doesn't really care. And then he goes about his day. I'll leave. Pick it up. No, I would say honestly, um, there's like two sides of the Air Force. There, I would say like 
how I would split it, it's like the maintenance workers, anyone who works maintenance, anyone on the flight line. Those guys, they work a lot. Um, so when I was in Okinawa at Kadena Air Base, I was a fuels guy. So I'd be, a, I was a flight line worker, um, basically just out there delivering fuel to planes and then just doing that for basically the entire day. Now there's other, and same with, uh, you know, um, crew chiefs, anyone who's out on the flight line, munitions, um, I kind of forget all the jobs, honestly, but... No, it's cool. Just go over your job. And I know you're talking about for now, yeah. but I know you deploy it. How about... Yeah. Um, like so my deployment was very not like my regular job at Kadena. So I was lucky enough to find... Be modest. Go ahead and say everything. Dude, it's, I'm going. I'm going. So I was lucky enough at Kadena. They have a special duty job called FARP, F-A-R-P, Forward Area, <laughs> for, forward area Refueling Point. We had we had guys that were fuel guys. They were fuel specialists, and they would sit at large bladders of fuel and just sit there, and then make us do everything. And we'd be like wearing fuel. Like it, it's probably because you were reservist. Yeah, probably. No, I will say the the Marines also have like bulk yeah. fuel. They do have yeah, FARP as well, but it's nothing even remotely close to what we do. Yeah. Um, I know towards the end when I was getting out, we would we were trying to train the Marines on how to how we did FARP. <laughs> I, I didn't personally do it, but there were plenty of guys on the team that would go do like a joint training uh, exercise with Marines and try to teach them up as how do we we do it. Because ours is more, the FARP in the Air Force is more, um, it's more just like high-speed refueling and forward deployed areas to in support of the overall special operation forces. So when I was deployed, it was it was actually very simple. The days were very simple. We would sleep during the day. We did our operations at night, and basically, we would just kind of like look at the look at the operation schedule. And if we had operations coming up, we'd kind of just plan around those. But basically, we would wake up, go to the gym, eat, go to any kind of meetings, briefings we needed to do, then do an operation if that was on the schedule. Um, if, if you could say, you don't feel obligated. What is the operation? So the operations that we did, we. It's in the name, essentially, forward area refueling. So we would, our main platform was C-130s. We'd fly on C-130s to forward deployed areas, um, just basically like random airstrips. Fly down and set up forward refueling sites in support of higher special operation forces. That must have been pretty, um, I'm sure it was intense, but like overall must have been kind of fun, no? It was was the most fun I've ever had. Um, If I could have continued to do that job, I probably most likely would have stayed in. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't pick to where I was going next, so I didn't know if it would be another fart base because there's only five in the Air Force. So I chose the decision to get out at that point. Um, but the circling back to the nor- typical day, kind of very, very simple. So if there were no operations to do, we did nothing. You know, play video games, go to the gym. Really, most of the deployment was working out, and it was a blast. Um, didn't have to go sit out in, in the desert, uh, hold up. We slept in beds in dorms. Um, I forgot you guys don't call it barracks; they're dorms. But wow, I know it's funny because I know I've heard you say dorms all the time here. But I thought because we're in college now, you just kind of in your head you transform that word because oh, wow, that's interesting. I think the only time we called them barracks was maybe in basic training, we call them barracks. But outside of that, like even at the Academia, we call them dorms. They weren't nice. I'll tell you what, at the Academia dorms they weren't nice at all. Oh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> what, is, what is that? Where is that at? Kadena is on Okinawa. And even the dorms in Afghanistan, they weren't nice. We had electricity. We had internet. Well, I mean, you're speaking to a guy that slept in the dirt, so I'm sure. And uh, 
So it, the good thing, actually, we our team room, our team room was like the nicest room in the dorms because how FARP cycles work is three guys, they deploy in at a time. And we stayed with the C-130 crews and they were always rotating it and they're much larger than us. So the same three guys over the whole 20-year war in Afghanistan, they were basically, once Bagram actually was established and built up in the way it was when he left, the same three guys or the same three team would be in the same room so collectively, they just, over the years, got their hands on a lot of stuff. So we had a nice TV, like a sound bar, gaming consoles. So like anytime we were trying to watch football, watch sports events, everyone would come to our room. Like we had a couch. We had, had no like, idea where it had came like from. active TV over there? No, but we had internet that we could wow. plug into the TV and that's, then stream. That's pretty funny because one of the times I deployed, um, <laughs> it was Super Bowl time. And so there was obviously underwater and like no cell phone reception, no internet, no, no anything. So all we had to do is like, all we had to wait for was these uh, messages come in from, from like a big Navy and they'll give us sports updates. Oh man, the Broncos just lost to whoever, where the Broncos won to whoever. Like it was like the best thing. Like, oh man, I got actual news. And it was all just words in the paper. So <laughs> my deployment actually wind up with the, the football season. So like when we were deploying, I think that was opening weekend. And then when we left, it was like a week before the Super Bowl. Actually, when I deployed, that was the most football I've watched in years because in Japan, the time difference, <laughs> the, time, the time difference was, you know, the football games were playing at two, three in the morning, five at 5 a.m. But when I was deployed, you know, they'd be on at, and we were up at night. So the time, the time difference and our sleep schedule just lined up. And typically the football game just matched up with days that we didn't have an operation to do. So I don't think I missed a football. I'm sure game. that was a coincidence. But it, it was definitely fun. And <laughs> and we had the room for sure. Yeah, I'm sure the higher-ups didn't uh, love football. Football season in Hawaii was a lot of fun, though. Wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. watch football until you go to bed at night. Yeah, if I was the Army, I never deployed, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so Fred, yep. typical day in your life of the deployed sailor in the air. Deployment's kind of varied for us. I mean, one thing I, I do kind of want to loop back around a little bit to what Brian was saying about when he was um, in the field and everything for a while. I just have a question because like, so Jack and I both went through SEER school. We were never like actually in the field field like you were, I feel like. Did you have to go through any sort of like rigorous like field training like SEER or anything like that in case you did get like captured or anything? Uh, no, most of our most of our training was, at, you know, platoon level, company level. Um, live fire drills. We never really did any kind of POD, POW stuff or like survival. Survival. I mean, we had just the basic, you know, land nav, and and we had basic survival skills, or like you know, if you you know, if it's cold out, and don't start a fire above the snow, kind of thing. Like dig the hole. A lot of the basic stuff we had, but they they were books, and you could take. They were like classes you could take and get info, and and then you kick classes to your younger guys about how how to do things but that was as much as we did i i wish we got to go to sear i know a couple guys that did and and it, it would have been great training See, that kind of stuff but we yeah we never did anything formal like that that's what i was wondering because it's like you know you guys are the ones who are actually like on the ground like probably the highest probability of actually getting captured and being prisoners of war and yet you know i think the only reason that like p3 squadrons are you know i'll get a little bit more into that in a bit but like squadrons like uh or uh jobs like uh, air crewmen and stuff like that would go through like SEER training was more or less in case like remember there was a case in which one of our planes got shot down over like China and uh, I don't remember what it was I thought it was like a Russian MiG that actually shot it down 
but over Chinese airspace, that wouldn't make sense. I don't remember. But basically the plane went down, they didn't have like an emergency destruction plan. And then when everyone landed, they essentially took them as like prisoner of war until Americans came back to rescue the people that were actually captured. But it was just kind of insane to me. Like, I just felt like you guys would benefit you a lot more than benefit us. It's like, you know, probably a low probability that we would actually be taken in this prisoner of war comparatively to someone who's actually over there in a setting where it's very hostile. Anyways, I digress. Basic day in the life for me. Um, when I was, I'll just go over my second deployment because that was probably the most fun. First place I went, deployed out to uh, Djibouti, Africa. So a day in the life in Djibouti, Africa was essentially, uh, we had a lot of stuff going on over there at the time. I don't remember why, but all of our crewmen were picking up high time, which is basically like you're, you're flying beyond the actual limit you're supposed to be flying. And so uh, I was a flight engineer. So kind of like Jack was saying, like a crew chief almost, but flight engineers are more uh, autonomous in what they do because we are basically pilots on the ground and um, uh, systems matter experts in the air. So what we would do, we'd wake up in the morning, we're flying nearly every day, they'd be 10 to 12 hour burners. So we'd be up like super early, pre-flight for three hours, fly for nine to 12 hours. And then we would uh, post-flight for one to two hours, go to bed, wake up the next day, have like a turnaround period to where, uh, I forget what the exact limitations were, but if we flew, um, we had like a 12 hour window, which we couldn't fly again. They'd always set us up right at the end of that window. And that's what caused us to hit high time because we we're just flying so damn much. But um, wake up in the morning, essentially we'd be in our little clues. So it's like a little Connex box. Were you guys ever in Djibouti? Or any, you ever any clues? I know you were probably intense if you were yeah. ever. No, I know on Sykes they had, I, I don't know. They were like white boxes. They were like Connex boxes. That's what boxes. it is, yes. Yeah, they it's, were nice, yeah. Yeah, well. So those are clues. There's usually about, there's two beds in there yeah. and then you have a few drawers. I, I kind of imagine it's almost kind of like a ship because you have that like privacy curtain, no bathroom or anything in there. It's just like a little box where you keep your stuff. So do that, uh, wake up, go fly, just dead. Literally after that, wake up the next morning, hopefully a little bit earlier. Since we have like 12 hours, usually get six to seven hours of sleep, wake up, go to the gym. And the gym was pretty cool because we had, uh, it was a tent, you know, a, a desert base. It actually had like a phenomenal galley, a phenomenal gym, like they had all the equipment you could really ask or hope for under a freaking tent. And uh, galley food was just immaculate. It was so good. And every time before a flight, like you'd, uh, we had like this contract with the galley. We can go in there and just pick up like a ton of like trade food and bring it on our flights with us. Wouldn't really last that long, but I mean, it was, it was nice that we actually had the food to take with us as opposed to like having to scrounge around and find our own stuff to take with us in flights, which would have been impossible. But yep, we fly and then I think the craziest thing about the deployments that we'd go on and like those kind of like uh, patrol and reconnaissance or uh, operational squadrons where we would just be moving around consistently. So we were actually only in Djibouti for about two months. Then we moved out to uh, Italy for about a month or two. Went to El Salvador, went to Spain right after within like two week turnaround times. And it was just always being ready. You know, you never know when they could say in like literally 18 hours notice, hey, you're detaching out to El Salvador tomorrow. You're detaching out to Iceland tomorrow. You're detaching. So when they do that, you'd have to immediately like get all your stuff in order. You'd have to be like, okay, well, am I going to be able to hold my position at the barracks or wherever we're staying? If you're gone for a certain amount of time, you'd have to take all your stuff with you. But there was this one time we went on like a supposed to be a rescue mission. We were there to send a bird out to Iceland and uh, they told us we're only be gone for 36 hours total. We'd fly out there, drop it off, take our crew rest requirements, immediately fly back. We ended up being gone for about two months, lost all of our stuff at the barracks that we 
had like in Italy. And then when we got back, it was all like in a room just with a bunch of stuff just piled all on top of each other. And we had to go sort through it, find out what was ours, and then get our new barracks room and everything. And after like a 10-hour flight moving around from country to country to country, all you want to do is just get somewhere and sleep. And you just, you really can't. You just have to like do what you need to do, get your room. And then usually by that time, there's some sort of debrief you have to go to. And then late at night, you can finally get some sleep. But it was fun though. Like I wouldn't take it, I wouldn't take it back for anything. The crew camaraderie and just being with your crew the entire deployment and, you know, having those, um, I don't know, having like when you have any downtime going out and actually experiencing the country, like for what it is, which is kind of a fun experience to actually go out and be able to, to do. And, uh, you know, with anything comes like it's pile of crap. So take the good with the bad. Right on. Thank you. So um, there's a lot of stereotypes. Uh, a lot of different communities were in. So me and the summer community, a lot of therapists I got were like, you guys are all freaking weird dudes. And I met a guy here in the uh, student veteran lounge. And so he was in the Navy as well. I told him the submariner. He was like, wow, you're already the normal. The, I met you for five minutes. You're already the most normal submariner i ever met in my life. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that a lot. And I would say it's true. Most summers are freaking weird, man. They will stay up when they're supposed to be sleeping to play like Dungeons and Dragons or... It probably wasn't them, but I think that's a whole board game. It's like a, a simulation of that game with just cards. I was like, man, guys, this is... I, I feel weird just being in the same room as you guys sometimes. Dude. I feel like I have never was never friends with people like this growing up. But now I have to work with you guys. And they're great guys. They're all great guys. Most of them are great guys. They're just kind of, that's one stereotype that I think is kind of uh, really true. Another stereotype that most submarine guys are not in shape, which I would say is probably also really true. Because, like I said, on the submarine... I sat down in the chair. I mean, it was tough driving the summer, don't get me wrong, but like in the day I was in the chair the whole time. And then I would clean on my hands and knees. I still wasn't really moving besides my hand up and down the toilet. <laughs> or the other guys in the engine room. And the time you sweat, you were by like this hot ass vent that would do something. And then you know, that's the only time you would actually even sweat. And then we would eat and just sleep. And but so like most guys would say we're not shaped unless you were like fully dedicated, like, you know, Freddie. You come home to the port and you go to go to the gym. Instead of going to the Hawaii beaches, instead of going to the Hawaii hikes, which is which is fun and active, but it's not like you're you're not going to the gym to physically train your body. Like I said, in the summer there's one uh, treadmill and one set of, one set of weights. So I would say most people are not as fit. There's some guys that are outliers, but most guys are not very fit. So how about for you, Brian? Any stereotypes? stereotypes? Yeah, there's a few. Um, we all think we're the best, which we are. So I mean, it's true. <laughs> Um, we're crayon eaters, especially us as infantry guys. Um, Is that joke old? Because sometimes I get mad just hearing that already. Like, oh, I hear. I feel like I hear it every yeah. single day at the SVO lounge. It is what it is. You, you know, you, you kind of make it what you want. And I kind of embraced it. And I make sure that everybody knows that green's my favorite flavor. And so if they want to feed me crayons, then make sure they're green. Yeah. Um, we get a lot of the, like, you're just, you're bootlickers. You're, um, you're just a dumb grunt. You're... Uh, we have a lot. We have a lot of those ones. Um, there's either that, and then there's the other ones where we're vicious, where we're like chained dogs, you know, waiting, waiting to just get let loose and, and go do crazy, crazy war things. Um, and home cycle, that's what you guys are. That's all you guys are. I swear to you. Lived on a Marine base for four years, <laughs> and it's I. There's yeah. There's a lot of that. That's kind of. Would you say home cycle? What is that like? When you're not deployed, you're at home because you have your home and uh, dead deployment cycles. Oh, but how does that pertain to, like, Marines are saying, like... When they're at home, like, when they're, like, in port, basically, uh, essentially. They're just wild, man. Like, we, you had Marines that were, like, doing, like, nosedives off the third story in the fucking, in the freaking barracks. 
You know, they would they would literally like jump off like just 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 to do it. Yeah. They would go in their rooms like in the barracks on the, on the third floor, like wasted, like from the local like um, always. Yeah, the, the actual the local uh, what do you call it? Uh, the base bar. They come home. They'd like pass out in the shower, the water on, and flood out the entire <laughs> barracks. It happened multiple times. There was this one time when some marine just ended up taking a dump right in the stairs of the barracks. Just left it there. Sounds right. Um, that wasn't like uh, an anomaly either. Like that kind of stuff happened all the time. These guys are—they're just wild. They—they—they they, they need to. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. The only really time I spent around Marines was in the, I was in A school. Yeah. You shared the same base as them, and man, they were annoying. <laughs> this is why they're annoying, though, because we would have to work out in the group of all um, Navy people at 7 a.m. They would be there like at 4.30 in the morning. I would hear their alarms or trumpets, whatever. I'm like, oh, my God, these guys. I'm trying to get some sleep here. <laughs> yeah, that, the, the whole, like, I mean, we would we'd drink till 3 and PT at 4. Um, we all had some sort of tobacco. You could horseshoe lips of chew, smoking a cigarette at the same time, chugging a beer, and then you got PT in an hour. Um, yeah, rippets and tobacco. Rippets. We lived, <laughs> we lived off of, off of nicotine and caffeine during the day, and then nicotine and alcohol at night. Um, a lot of guys, whenever they're waiting to deploy, that's just what they're doing. They're waiting to deploy. They just want to deploy, especially infantry. And it's and that's there's a big difference. Um, we make fun of the air wing, even in the Marine Corps. We <laughs> the divide between combat MOS and air wing and then even infantry and the rest of the combat MOS infantry thinks that we're the best that we are the Marine Corps everybody else is just extra they're around us to support us which in part is true but that's just that's the mindset that we all have and we do get we do get crazy we get you know we're training non-stop to to fight that's all whether we're training for clearing houses whether we're in the middle of the of 29 palms in the middle of the hot crappy desert um and running around in full gear uh, um live fire ranges doing all of the training and stuff and then you go back and it's like what do you do you're just waiting to deploy you just want to do it you want to do it and uh you want to do it now especially at the time when i was in that was guys around like they'd go six seven months deployment and then they'd come home for six months and then they deploy again there was a lot of that just cycle um on the active duty side where they were just you were just prepping to deploy you came home you hung out for couple weeks or whatever and then started training right back again and, and next thing you know you're back out there um so that at that time there was a lot of that with the marine corps because we didn't go on deployments as much like the army the army would go out for 12 18 months where the marine corps did a lot of more shorter stints for the most part it's kind of um, how the navy does it too yeah 12 18 months a long time um all right james what's what's uh some stereotypes you hear of the army are true or not true well, I mean, that's, you know, I was in the infantry too, so it's a lot of that same, you know. Bullshit. Well, <laughs> you know, the bravado, you know, that, you know, yeah. the Marines probably had. I mean, there is a difference, though, because, you know, you, you have, you know, what every, you know, you have big army, what everybody thinks of, and then you have, you know, your special forces. And the army just has way more opportunities for, um, you know, doing high speed stuff. You know, people, I don't know about that. They get all the money. Uh, we didn't get shit. We got all your leftovers. Well, I mean, you, you guys get no money. Air Force gets all the money. All of our, our vehicles were leftover Army vehicles that got sent to us. Like, they, the Army was like, no, nah, we're not going to use these. And the Marines were like, oh, perfect. We'll use them. Well, yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, more or less the, um, the infantry division, you guys have a lot more, like, operational contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm talking that. about. That's what I'm, you know, I'm yeah. talking about. Like, you know, Rangers, you know, Green yeah. Rays, yeah. you know, the, the, the cool stuff. Yeah. 
yeah. and that's everybody's thing. So I mean, I mean, I get, I suppose in the army, um, regular infantry is kind of uh, it might be thought of as you know the guys that couldn't hack it, you know, at selection or at uh, ranger school. But you know, it's I, I never I never looked at it that way. You know, I always looked at it. You know, I I, I have a job to do. I'm going to do my job. You know, I guess you know I, I don't know a ton of stereotypes about the army. You know, because the army is the biggest branch. You know, it's kind of like the like the mainstream opinion, I suppose. But I mean, I, I'm sure you get you other guys will be able to uh, help me, uh, fill, so, you know, find that answer a lot easier. Though. You know, what's funny is uh, actually I had a buddy who, um, for the longest time, I thought it was you know typical like army grunt, just uh, uh, infantryman, and come to find out like. One day he just mentioned that he was a he was a ranger. I'm like, wait, you were a ranger? No, oh, yeah, you know, I was infantry. I'm like, oh, he didn't really discriminate the two. He didn't really see too much of a difference between the two himself being in like actually being a ranger. So I don't know. Well, ranger, I mean, it's you know, the ranger has a different mission than the. Um, see, I don't know much about it. So that's why I'm yeah, trying to clear yeah, that up. Yeah, you know, too. rangers, you know, they, they're going to do you know their own missions a lot. They do a ton of support missions for you know like the, you know the Green Berets and those guys. Yeah. You know, like kind of stuff you saw in like Black Hawk Down. You know, that that's you know that's classic ranger stuff. Yeah, he got shot in the head too. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't yeah. die. He got shot. He, helmet rings bell a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're, they're the ones doing the cool stuff. You're, they're the ones you know, you know, jumping out of helicopters, and yeah. jumping out of planes, kicking doors down. I mean, it's not to say that you know regular infantry doesn't do it, but you know, you, ha- you just have more opportunities to do really cool stuff. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Isn't there a difference with ranger too? Like, can't you go through ranger school, mm-hmm. but then? If you're not part of a ranger battalion, so you can still you can still pass ranger school. I mean, because I know Marines can even go to ranger school too. I guess, but you can be in the ranger battalion. If you're not in a ranger battalion, there's like you can be regular infantry but pass ranger school, but you're not doing ranger stuff because you're not in a ranger battalion. There, are, it, there are guys in the ranger battalion that don't have the ranger tab. There's okay. guys with the ranger tab that aren't in a ranger. Battalion. It's just you know it's a, it's a school. Yeah, isn't there like a difference between like the ranger tab and like a ranger scroll? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ranger Scroll is when you are actually assigned to the Ranger Battalion, whereas the Ranger Tap is when you go to the Ranger School. Okay. okay. Yeah, the Ranger School is going to teach you the skills to be in the Ranger Battalion, but it's you know it's a very broad, very broad set of skills. Well, that's and, a fun fact. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. And there's the Ranger Handbook too, which you know anybody that wants to get into the military should probably read because it's very wealth of knowledge. I've got one in my basement. Yeah, yeah I shall get it right on that. <laughs> Jack, my man. Any, uh, if there are any, what are some stereotypes about there? You know what, you guys, you guys tell me because I think you guys all have a lot of <laughs> things to get off your chest about it. Well, it so, seems like a chair is real comfortable for you. It is. Um, first know, one, chair though. force, just sitting around, which again, I think a lot of the stereotypes are true coming from an Air Force person, but I think they, they're not applicable to all. Like I said, the anyone who works on the flight line, any of the maintenance, those guys, they go out there, work 12 hours you know, six days a week, get one day off, and they're working a lot. I certainly wouldn't want to be one of those crew chiefs. You know, what I did on the flight line, that was enough, and I certainly didn't like it. But then there's, like, you know, the finance, most of the logistics, um, any of the FSS is, like, for support. A lot of those guys, I think... What's FSS? For support squadron. So I think they run the the DFACs, (laughs) a.k.a. chow halls, uh, the gyms. And I'd say, you know... Kind of almost sounds like I'm calling them out, but I'm not. You know, everyone, there's always jobs to do. But I think when you talk about, oh, sleeping until 8.30, 9 o'clock, go in at 10, work, get an hour lunch break, <laughs> and then you're home by 4.30. I think a lot of, there are plenty of jobs in the Air Force that fit that description. So if you want to join the military, you just got to find a job that 
it's not manual labor. And basically, if it's not manual labor, all those stereotypes kind of apply. Like finance, somehow they're open, you know, two days a week for four four hours. <laughs> no one understands that. Like, what are you doing? What What's the rest of the time? What uh, those the people that get you know hour long lunch breaks where they can actually like go you know go off base, grab food, come back. I never had that. I I, I couldn't do it. So I so I said. There's kind of like that divide because you're all the same pay grade. So you're all getting paid the same. But there's people who sleep in, get lunch at home by 4.30 every day without a doubt. The TDYs, I, I went on some pretty nice TDYs. I think it's my favorite TDY means. temporary deployment. I'm not sure what the Y actually stands for, but basically it's like a temporary deployment. And one I did, I was put up in like a, a resort in Florida for a month. Um we were working, you know, 12 hour days. I think we got one or two days off depending on the week. So really you just go work and then on those two days off you can do whatever you want and you're sitting in a in a resort. I mean, we had Do you guys um, it was like an apartment we we're staying in. I don't mean to cut you off, but do you guys have something called duty? You're like every couple of days you sleep no. somewhere. So like on the submarine when we were in Hawaii, every fourth day you slept on the submarine. The rest of you sleep in your in your barracks or in a house wherever you live. But that doesn't mean that the day before you work a full day, you sleep there in the submarine. The next day you work a full day, so you're working six days a week. But it's it's fair because every four days everybody does it. Entire Air Force, there's no such thing as duty. I don't think so. Like the 24 hour duty things, no. Unless it's some discreet thing, um, I would say no. Duty also varies because your duty was way different than our duty from what we did. Because for us, it was a it was a full week long of uh, 12 on 12 off shifts for. Um, Basically, it was uh, you were the duty flight engineer. You went out and you turned uh, broken planes and had the maintainers fix them when you basically troubleshot what the issue was. You do that 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And then, like you said, the next day, you'd still, like, if you were on night check, you'd basically have to stay, like, go through day check as well for your primary job. Or sometimes your command would give you a little bit of leeway and give you 24 hours off and you'd go back the next day. But um, we didn't really do 24-hour duties either, unless you were in a different um, position, I guess. There were some people that did but I think duty was very, uh, it varied depending on what kind of platform you were on and what kind of job you had in the military. Hmm. James in the Army, do you have duty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do like staff duty. Um, what does that mean? Man the phones. <laughs> man, man the phones for 24 hours. Um, it's, like, it's like Firewatch. And like it's, yeah. yeah, pretty much. You know, when, when someone gets arrested downtown, you know, <laughs> drive, to Sergeant, drive to Sergeant Major down so he can get bailed out or hmm. fun stuff like that. Yeah, we had a do your rounds answer officer comes on deck or whatever you answer whatever you read them whatever information you got to read them so for us our duty days were like i don't want to say they're unneeded but um we would have the ones that were needed were in the summary you would check gauges all the time so it was low they're like hey what's going on here is there a leak whatever those i think are full are fully needed there's two other guys with uh, with the weapons one on top of someone walking back and forth and one in the front checking people in and stuff. But they're 24-hour men. And people already get checked when they come through the main gate. So, like, I don't know. It's kind of like, why do we need two people there checking people in and make sure everything's fine? We're already in a base that's secured. So that part got, like, he just got mad doing that all the time. And he, it's throughout the night. He stunk. The vest never got cleaned. It was just a pain. And to be honest, I think more deaths came from duty than anything else we did. Because people have shot themselves on duty in the middle of the night, the shotgun to the chest, unfortunately. And it's like, this is causing more issues than good. 
And I think that's some just downfalls I, f- I feel with some reinforced. I'm sure you guys have examples for your branches as well. But I just, I'm not the biggest fan of duty. Yeah, I mean, we, because when you're in a training status too, I mean, you, you have to do Firewatch, like I feel like in every branch, like when you're in like your tech school or your A school or whatever. And it just kind of trains you to sit there and greet officers and they like, come aboard and do nothing for 12 hours, 24 hours at a time. Yeah, like, man, our life already is rough. Like, why are you making us do this tedious task of looking pretty essentially and just, I don't know, I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, just get back on track a little bit, though. Where's some stereotypes from your community in the Navy? So my community, I'm not going to lie. Our community had, like, good stereotypes and bad ones. The, let's start with the bad ones, I guess. The bad ones were that we were, the air crew community was all, like, douchebags. Like, they, they called us hair crew. I don't you know, really I was know. wondering about your hair. That's You've seen some from. of your Facebook photos. Yeah. Those guys are true. <laughs> yeah. Meters. I will I will admit, you know, all the air crewmen do think they're better than everyone else in the Navy. Um, flight engineers particularly had a, a lot of pride in their job. Um, Definitely every time you walk, I think of, like, Baywatch, you're walking in slow motion everywhere you go. Like, you expect <laughs> people to look at you. <laughs> well, that was the thing, too, is, like, when people in, like, the aviation community would see, like, an air crewman, the general expectation was that they would be very fit. They would be um, basically just fit douchebags. That was kind of, like, our biggest shtick. Um, at the end of the day, I can't really say it was wrong because a lot of the guys that I did know were just, like, these jack douchebags. But there were also, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum there. There were, there were like, obviously no stereotypes 100% true. There were the exceptions to that. But those were the biggest ones around that. Then just being in the Navy community in general, I mean, there's the whole, like, oh, you're a seaman. You know, we're all seamen. We all like and love being seamen. You know, that's, that's I guess, the other biggest stereotype is that, you know, let's say sailors have kind of like this um, flamboyant kind of persona to all them. Um, Before I comment on that, Jack, you literally really wanted to say something about <laughs> walking around in tight t-shirts or something like that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just what you described, just, it almost looked like you were describing yourself. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm not a, I don't think I'm that big of a douchebag. You said, oh, uh, these Jack douchebags. <laughs> is that, that what it was? That's it? These That's big it. guys that all they do is work out and carry themselves like they're better than everyone else. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I guess this is why we're having this conversation. I feel like this is turning more than, into an intervention than anything, but that's where we're at. All right. So, yeah. I mean, you're not that far on the douchebag scale, but <laughs> everything else. Was but you're pretty, on the scale. Everything else <laughs> was pretty accurate. Yeah. Those are our biggest stereotypes being in the, the air crew community. You know, you said all the things about like the Navy in general. I find like it's kind of funny because like we're both in the Navy, but yet we're two different communities. And I feel like our community just, I don't know if it's like in other branches. I think you guys could say if you want, but like, I feel like Navy communities don't really like each other. No, we... we I, I personally, I like, if unless you were some guy, I didn't really care about you. Yep, same here. Air crew or no, none. <laughs> yeah. Just like that in your guys' community? Like, far back, you're still like a normal... I don't want to say normal Air Force, but someone that didn't go through your rigorous training of, like, SEER school, where you're like, immediately, I'm better than you. Um, I think that happened a lot with, uh, like, at our at our home, um, home station. So at Kadena, where we, once you kind of, like, joined the team, got in, did all the the training which honestly like wasn't that much you did get like a decent amount of gear um you got to wear a tab and like a seven seven hundred dollar watch for free so that's pretty good yeah um so i think you started like it was implied by because you would still go back and work like your normal job as well and then do uh farp things kind of just like 50 50 and i think it was kind of just implied that you automatically thought you were better than (laughs) than like traditional fuels which I'm not going to say is wrong because it kind of gives you a little chip on your shoulder a little bit, but it just 
kind of comes about down to like who you are and if you kind of like act on that um, uh, arrogance, which I think a lot of people don't, but the image is already there that you do. So I think it does exist. And then going back to like uh, what I was saying about the stereotypes of the Air Force is the people like the maintainers and anyone who works on the fight line, like those kind of people, they there is a little bit of a, a rift between the people who work and then like the med group, uh, FSS, logistics, um, finance. You said med group right now? Do you guys have your own, like, so they've got corpsmen? Yeah, we have our own med group. But they're not, like, Navy corpsmen? No. Mm-hmm. Unless, I mean, they, on, I mean, on Gondina, they had a large hospital, which was uh, Navy. Well, that, so uh, I was... But we did have our own med group. So, like, dental and, and kind of, like, the smaller issues, we had our own. For context in that, because um, I was also a corpsman uh, for my second uh, job in the military after I uh, got down from flying... But when I was a corpsman, generally speaking, uh, let's see, the Air Force has a medical branch. The Army has a medical branch. They have multiple medical branches because they have, like, what, the 86 whiskeys, uh, the ones who are actual, like, operational and everything, combat medics. And they have the Navy, who you have green side and blue side. You got the hospital corpsman. You got the FMF, like, Marine de- detached, like, uh, docks, uh, essentially. So... When he says, like, they got them, they do have them, but generally speaking, I think the Air Force is one of the smallest medical branches. So if you go to, like, a big hospital, like an Air Force base or something, it's going to be an integrated, like, Navy, Army, um, Air Force hospital. Generally, every hospital I've been to, like the bigger ones, like Walter Reed, the ones on uh, the big one on the East Coast, I forget what it's called, but there's a big Navy hospital that I think is now integrated with the other forces as well. And then in San Diego as well, there's another one. But those ones all have like an integrated like joint force now. And I think that's becoming like homogenous throughout like the branches. Like most hospitals are now going to be like joint task. No, that's, I mean, that's where our docs came from. Our combat and our guys that came with us, uh, actually my best friend um, was my doc in Iraq and uh, yeah they were all Navy guys but they were green green side and they'd go through specific training and they train right with us um, any kind of live fire ranges or any kind of um, training that we did for deployment they were they were right there they were part of the fire team they were they were in it they're pretty cool. badass dudes yeah yeah we would have medics attached to our company maybe even maybe even attached to the platoons too I forget but I mean they would I mean the medic with the you know he was I always appreciated him, and I, you know, if I could go back and do it again, I probably would have been a medic, just because, you know, I saw how, the, you know, how they were treated, and just be like, yeah, they, they were retreated with respect above all, else, above everyone else. And I don't know. Marines just walk up to medics sometimes, just or uh, you know, corpsmen sometimes, just drop their pants, be like, "What's this in my dick, doc?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it's, it's true. It's I mean, true, but you don't mess with doc. Doc is doc is. Well, if when you're, you know. You become friends with the doc, and then you can say, you know, you had a really bad hangover. You can say, Doc, I need an IV. You know, that may or may not have happened often. I mean, it's like a Corman's second job, I feel like. Very often. It's like, yeah, well, because, you know, our, our medics, they always had, you know, bags and bags of them in their room just, you know, yeah. you need to, you need, hey, you need to practice putting that needle in. All right. So, move on to the next question. There's a couple more. Freddie, why do you think people make fun of different branches i think it's just fun banter honestly i mean in the end of the day it's all one team one fight and i feel like everyone kind of recognizes and respects that um but obviously with every different kind of population there's going to arise certain like differences that can be then made fun of and exploited so generally i just i just feel like it's it's kind of like i don't know it's like a common thing that you're going to see amongst any community really with any sort of like even minute differences and we see that across all the branches, you know, obviously excluding Coast Guard because they barely exist. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, you know, we, it, it's just one of those things in a way I feel like it actually brings us closer as well because, you know, you, you kind of like when you get out of the military now when you're veterans and you go and you can talk to like all your veteran friends who came from a different um, background in the military, you can just kind of joke around with them and it kind of brings like to with it that little bit of closeness of like understanding that, you know, okay, yeah, you were in, you served, you know, you, you can make those jokes. It's funny. Aha, whereas, you know, you talk to like a civilian or something like that. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't, you know, like, oh, don't make fun of the military. Well, that's what we do. You know, it's just kind of like a rite of passage that we we have, generally speaking. You know, it's so I think it's more community building than anything. I think it's like a kind of an important aspect of being in the military to have those like um, different kind of stereotypes that we can all just kind of pick at with each other and just have fun with. Yeah, you're right. I think it's kind of funny. Like when Brian McDonald was saying um, all these crazy things he did, but all I heard was his reservist, and I stopped listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Everyone hates the reservist. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Jack, how about you? What do you think? Oh, man. It's just, I mean, it's fun. It's not like um, it's not like I can talk to Brian or like really anyone else from a different branch and understand like what fully like what their job is. So I can't talk to them about their job. I can't talk to them about being in the field. Um, what I can say is, you know, the things that I think I know about their branch. And then when you keep it light, you know, you're not like, I don't internally mean, mean what I'm saying and they understand that. So, but for the most part, I don't really, I can't, I don't talk trash about other branches because you guys all have more insults lined up than I do. (laughs) I know the room I'm in. So, and I also know the branch that I was a part of. Yeah. But at least you're a part of a really cool community. Now you're wearing like the typical Air Force guy that we hear. Although the other only other Air Force guy in Syracuse, man, he speaks and looks and acts just like you. I'm like, wow. Like, are these all Air Force people that act the same? It was funny too because I think a lot of the stereotypes from the Air Force come from just like a general like a jealousy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, who who would want to? go spend a month in the field or however long you do it, sleeping in tents, sleep, sleeping bags on the ground. You know, I, I did it for a week and that was enough. Oh, I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> to be fair, it looked really cool on the recruiting video. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it does. What about you, James? What do you think uh, we make fun of uh, other branches? You know, it comes from a good place. Um, it's not like, you know, World War II Japan, you know, where they were actively murdering each other for being in different branches. Um, you know, let's have fun. That's really what it comes down to and it's like you know i've never heard of that that in world war ii oh yeah and yeah japanese uh, major major uh inter-rivalry oh, wow. or inter-service rivalry disputes yeah huge you know it's part of why they uh bombed pearl harbor and didn't attack uh russia but you know i digress um <laughs> <laughs> you know it's you know and people that make fun of the army infantry or generally marines saying that we couldn't hack it in the marines that's why we joined the army no and you know the in the army says you know the, well the reason why you join the marines is because you're too stupid to join the army. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know no, our dress blues look better though too. So. Oh, your dress oh, blues are freaking phenomenal. You're, I mean, even the unit like when I was I was in so from you know 05 to 08, you know I had the ACUs and they were quite possibly the ugliest uniforms I've with concrete, this country ever right? had. The marine. Uh, Camouflage pattern, it was so cool. Oh my god! First time I saw that, I was so I mean, yeah, I was so jealous. I was like, man, I wish we could have those. That's why I liked when the Navy switched over to the Type Threes, our green camis that were somewhat similar to the Marines. Well, I mean, all right, it's a little better. When the ACUs get really dirty, they start to look on. They start to take on that Marine, you know, with the Marpet look. Marpet. Probably you never washed them. (laughs) Well, it's I mean, they they're ACUs. They you can only wash them so much until you know they just start. You know, flame resistant until you wash them once. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I washed, <laughs> I washed, dude, I, I, wa- I washed my uh, my body armor 
and I, you know, I scrubbed, I scrubbed the hell out of it. Body armor, you mean your six pack? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my chest, my chest plate, and I, I scrubbed the, I, it was ACUs, and I scrubbed the hell out of it. I think I used like, you know, um, like laundry detergent or something, and the whole pattern just came off, and it's just like this gray pattern. Yeah. Call those uh, salty. If you keep the skin camis for long enough, you're like, they're so faded. Yeah. You can tell, you can tell, like, a guy that's got that, he's been around, you know, especially if he's like a Lance Corporal, he's like a fifth year Lance Corporal or something like that. This is a salty motherfucker. You could really see it in the the Navy Type 2s, the blue ones, which also make no sense to me. Why would the Navy switch to like a camo pattern where if if there's like a man overboard or something (laughs) in the blue ocean? That dude's just gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> goodbye. But he's gonna look You're really gonna sharp. Him. He'll look really sharp when he's dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At the bottom of the ocean to be. How about you, Brian? Why do you think uh, branches uh, make fun of each other? And uh, just like, just like these guys said, I, and I, I think it's it's good fun right now. It's 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 friendly banter. Like, yeah, you know, we make fun of each other, and, and I think it kind of helps feed who we are and where we served and and all of that. But at the same time, it's the respect that we have for each other afterwards is. That that's kind of like, like you don't need an icebreaker. That is the icebreaker. You can make fun of somebody first time you meet them. It don't matter, and and everybody will laugh about it and then be like, oh yeah. So when were you in? What did you do? How, you know, what are you up to? Who are you? Whatever. And you can, you can get to know people so easy just just off of those stereotypes. It's yeah. It's I think it's really it's just a fun fun thing to look. Except the Air Force, we are we are like really jealous though because that first time I slept in that air conditioned box in Telfar, God. It was weird. We got, you guys had ice cream bars, <laughs> like a bar to make whatever kind of ice cream you wanted in the chow hall. You had salad bars, you had fruit bars, you had a, <laughs> you had a pasta bar, you had homemade stir fry, you had hamburgers. <laughs> we, we'd show up and we'd get an entire tray of all of the food, but our stomachs were so small from eating whatever we could out in the field for so long that we'd eat like a bite of chicken tender and be like, oh, I'm stuck. And we'd, like, we'd have all of this food there. We just didn't understand. Just throw it. away on purpose just so they won't eat it? <laughs> just, just be like, see all this? You can't have it. <laughs> yeah, when we wanted to eat goat, we would drive over to the Air Force Base and always, have lunch there. Always. Well, that was. I mean, how much time did you spend over in the Hickam side of Pearl Harbor when you were there? Not too much. Like, I'd go over for a run sometimes over there, but nothing really. Oh, it was really nice over there. You could tell, like, an immediate difference from, like, the Navy side to the Air Force side. You could just tell. Like, it was so much nicer over there. And it, it is pretty cool because you just talk to people, like, and now you're talking about who had it worse. You're just talk, making fun of you guys' past almost. And it's kind of like, almost like comes from a little jealousy of, damn, like, you didn't have to uh, have. Two people per, I mean, three people per two beds or something like that. And you had to sleep on some of those, like, used uh, sheets every night. You had, like, milk when you wanted. You had, like, f- actual food when you wanted. Wow. And then uh, it just, it is a cool, like, icebreaker. And just, you know, to, like, build, uh, build like, a community outside the actual branches. And I think looking back now, though, like, I'm proud of, like, being a submariner and all that. And going through, like, you know, the two years in the water and, like, sharing beds and having almost no space for my personal items on deployment it, it was fun overall it was, it was like a fun time and i'm glad i went through it but if i were to go back and you know being at Syracuse university you have people from all branches and all military connected which is a word i learned while i was here military connected i think i would go as much as i make fun i as much as i personally make fun of them national guard because there's i mean plenty of national guard people who have the same benefits as us they get looked at from a civilian the same way as us they have access to all our same scholarships access to the lounge, 
access to everything we have. Yeah, they had to go through like half of what we all went through. It's a pride thing if you say, nah, 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 I'd rather be stuck underwater, rather be stuck in the dirt, rather be in a palace, you know, in in Okinawa or something, or I want to be in Djibouti or Hawaii. And I think I personally, like if I had a kid and you go into the military and ask him, what are your goals in life? If you go into the National Guard and, you know, show up like one week in a month or whatever they do, but you have your school paid for, you have all the scholarships, you get looked at the same. I mean, you're applying for jobs, you could put like military connected and it has a lot of the same benefits. So what do you think? If you go back, what, what branch would you do and why? Probably exactly what I did. I mean, honestly, even though your end goal now is to be a doctor. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me because in the end of the day, like I, we talked in the first podcast we did uh, together a little bit about my experiences when I first joined. It was it was more I had a lot of crap times when I was in the military, some medical and health stuff that kind of went on. But in general, if I had not taken the route that I did specifically, I wouldn't have had the structure. If I would have went to college or did anything else that had less structure, I, I would have probably, I would not be here right now. I would probably not have a college degree. I probably would have failed out of college or something else would have happened that would have been just a huge detriment to the rest of my life. That is a really good point because maybe if we didn't go through all that stuff, we would be a totally different person right now. Exactly. And with all the crap that, you know, happens to you while you're in the military, you have all these learning experiences and opportunities that you get out of it as well. So you come out of it more intelligent, you come out of it, you know, older, wiser, you know, you you get a lot of times, you know, a lot of these uh, military guys when they get out of the military, even while they're in, people like think they're a lot older than they actually are. And it's not necessarily because of how they look, it's because of how they carry them, how they carry themselves. And I think that for me, that was like a huge like lifesaver. I was going nowhere out of high school. And if I didn't have like an aspiration to do well in the military, again, I, I just, I wouldn't be here right now. So I wouldn't change anything that I did. I wouldn't change any experience that I had. And I think I've learned pretty well from everything. And, you know, we're still learning, but that's where I'm coming from anyways. That's actually the point. Jack? I wouldn't change anything, honestly. Maybe possibly changing um, my job. But even looking back now, I got pretty lucky with the job that I did end up finding and that brought me to you know i lived in a island out in the pacific for almost four years um and i met my closest friends through my job and i deployed had a, a just tons of memories doing that can be traced back to you know not like bargaining with my recruiter for a different job you know my recruiter's like oh here it is you want it i'm like send it and that's what happened um and I wouldn't change it honestly kind of like fred was saying my theory is for every two years you're in the military you age or for every year you're in the military, you age two years, both physically and mentally. So you feel it in your body and kind of, you know, feel like you have different experiences as well. But I also think that also applies to the individual. Like if you're just like a crazy Marine who's just out there, you know, drinking your life away and smoke, puffing on cigarettes, you're probably not going to learn a lot, but you still will. But I think it's just if you go in ready to find experience, you're going to come out with Exactly that. Now you guys are really uh, making me feel bad about my answer now. I was like, I, I enjoy my, I spent a Hawaii, you know, a few years and I loved it. But just like, uh, man, I guess everybody's journey is different, but. <laughs> you know, I, I do have some regret, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't dwell on it. I mean, cause there's just no point. It's like, I, yeah, I wish I had um, taken my job more seriously. You know, I wish I would have challenged myself more. Like I wish I had tried to go out for a range of school more than once. I wish I had, you know. Oh, you attempted ranger school. I hurt myself. I hurt myself in, in the, um, like, just like before you go to ranger school, there's like pre-ranger and before there's, you know, I, you know, I, I hurt my knee while I was not at pre-ranger, but when I was training for it. 
Oh, uh, don't even say anything went to ranger school. <clears throat> no, I it's, I wanted to. I mean, I had every intent. I mean, there was a point in my life or in my army career when I wanted to, but stuff happened. But yeah. you know, for me, it's it's the um, knowledge that I you know I'll pass on to my child. You know, if he you know expresses an interest in getting into the military, I'll say you know if you want to if you want to pick if you know what you want to do and you want to pick your job, join the army. If you want to do like special forces or something, I mean, but you have to know yourself. If you're going to do special forces, you have to know yourself. Otherwise, you're just, if you don't, you're going to end up washing out and you'll just end up in a regular infantry unit. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, you know, you're not, you're not doing what you set out to do. I think the Air Force is, if you want to learn like a good technical skill, I don't think there's a better place to do it other than the Air Force. I, you know, it just, it depends on the person. And, and hopefully that when, you know, people do decide to, join the military that you know they actually have someone they can talk to you know because I, I didn't have that i never had that uh person i could uh talk to about it other than a recruiter and i'm sorry but a recruiter is not going to give you a uh a full picture they're not gonna, they're not gonna lie to you but they're not going to tell you all the opportunities the other branches have they're salesmen yeah exactly you know i think that's what's kind of getting at like i think i'm gonna go farther in life because everything i did on that submarine and for all the good and bad things, it's to make my life better. I'm gonna go farther, I'm gonna be stronger mentally, physically, whatever the case may be. I'm gonna push myself more than I ever would if I didn't go through. But everything I know now, someone to tell me what should I do. If you know in your heart you're only gonna do one contract and go to school, there's like now I don't think there's that much of a point to really put your body through all that stress. Totally. Yeah, there's not. Unless you know like unless that person really lacks structure, lacks willpower to succeed then they probably should go like go test messages just so they could know in their heart how far they could get pushed. Because the military pushes all to a far than I think we ever thought we could. Yeah. When I leave here, I'm going to the chiropractor. Take that as you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Brian? Uh, it, you know, as much as I, I hated the reserves, I hated being in the reserves. I wanted everything to do with active duty. I think about this a lot. Like if I didn't, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have met the guys I had. Um, my platoon, we were the tightest group of dudes ever uh best friends and and we had guys in there that were in the initial push in iraq in 03 we had guys that had all sorts of different backgrounds and 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 there's some of the there's they're some of the best guys that i've ever met um and if i didn't if i didn't do it then i wouldn't have that my you know my best friend being my doc and everybody else and, and at the same time i got to i got to do a lot of things in the reserves that a lot of people in the reserves don't get to do I got that combat combat deployment. I got to go on a deployment to South Africa and train with the South African Army. I got to do the funerals. I got to do the Toys for Tots. I got to see a lot of different things, like go to a lot of different countries just for training even. Um, and so to be able to do that, I mean, the, the Marine Corps definitely, it gave me that resilience. It gave me that, that confidence. It gave me a lot. And whether it's reserve or active, it, it worked out. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'd change anything. I'd like to say that I wouldn't change anything because of that. But the only thing maybe would be active duty. But even then, I don't know. Well, that's pretty cool because I know like all your uh, health issues you had because you were in time employed. Yeah. So that's really cool knowing that through all that, you're so proud of what you did and you want to change it. Jack, what is your favorite quote and why? Um, I think, all right, I'm not going to say the same quote that I did last time. That was a really, um, really, really good quote last time. I, I think I got a good one this time, too. It's not necessarily a quote. It's more of a, a question that you should kind of made me like think a little differently. But I'll ask you. So if I gave you a million, and also this is not my quote. Um, I saw it online. 
All right, Rudy. So if I gave you a million dollars right now, would you take it? Yes. But if I if I gave you ten million dollars right now, but you couldn't wake up tomorrow, would you take it? No. So you're saying waking up tomorrow is worth more than ten million dollars? Hundred percent. Then you should start waking up every single morning with that idea, with that mindset that your this day is worth more than ten million dollars. That is a pretty good quote. Where'd you hear that from? A few weeks ago, and you know, I never really thought of it that way. And I know a lot of days I'll wake up and like I don't want to do this, but you put a price tag on it. It helps. Yeah, almost like you shouldn't be uh, depressed because it's snows here, huh? Yeah, Bunk- bunker in your room because there's a little snow outside. Hey, I go out and shovel. <laughs> All right, James. I don't have one either. I have no idea. No, do you have any motto you live by? Man, just one foot in front of the other. That's what I tell you. The army is one foot in front of the other. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's, I, you know, it's. I need purpose in my life. Being a student does not provide the purpose that I need. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm working until I can. I'm working at school so I can actually have a job, support my family, um, and it's tough. It's for me. It's for me. It's tough because you know I used to, I used to have a good job. I used to, um, you know, I, I accomplished a lot of stuff in my in my career, and you know. Going back to school, I had to start all over again. So that's, you know, I say, you know, one foot in front of the other because, you know, it's, I need to keep going. I need to keep moving until I can get to what I want. Because this isn't what I want. This is, this is going to help me get what I want, but this isn't it. It's a pretty good motto. Ryan? Uh, yeah, thinking about this, I, I mean, I, I read poetry. I like a lot of quotes and stuff like that. And, and there's, a, there's so many out there that I love, but I think one that... Man, you're reading, you know a guy... <laughs> it's weird, right? Yeah. Uh, the Marine of all things. Crazy infantry yeah. guy that... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the one that sticks and always has uh, is uh, that Jim Valvano quote, quote uh, don't give up, don't get up, don't ever give up. Um, and it's it's very simple, it's very basic, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's along the same lines. Like, today could be worse. Just keep going. Um, you're where you're at, but what's next? Where can you go? What can you do? Um, how can you make it work for you? How can you make it work for other people? How can you, whatever you got to do, just keep going. I, I do have a quote. Um, it's not my favorite quote, but it is, I feel like an important quote. It's a Nathaniel Hawthorne quote. Uh, Time flies over us, leaves a shadow behind. And essentially, I mean, to me, kind of what that means is, you know, you, you really can't stop time. No matter what, time's going to keep rolling over us. At the end of the day, that shadow time leaves behind, you know, what you do with that time, how you affect others and where you go from each moment kind of like predicates the kind of future that you're going to have, you know, whether it's going to be, let's say, you know, you, you choose to live like a worthless life. Well, at the end of the day, you know, time's not going to stop what kind of mark did you leave in the world? What what kind of life did you have? When you get to the point where you're like 60, 70, 80 years old and you're reflecting back on everything that you did, are you going to be satisfied with the things that you did? Because no matter what, that, that shadow, the the time that you spent doing nothing, it's still there. It's like set in stone. You can't change that. Like that will come back to kind of like haunt you. So in the end of the day, like when you're reflecting back in your life, like in the future, when you're like really old, what 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 kind of things do you want to say you have accomplished what kind of person 
did you want to present yourself as? What kind of person did you want to be? Did you want to be like a helpful individual who like set aside time to volunteer and like help out underprivileged communities? Did you want to do like um, other like career aspirational goals? Did you like, exactly what did you want to do and how did you work to actually create that life for yourself? Because in the end of the day, like every day matters. Every day is like a speck of time you're never going to get back once it's gone, you know? So to me, what that means, like time flies over, it leaves a shadow behind, is that it's just kind of like a motivating thing to keep in the back of your mind. Just know that, you know, everything you do has some sort of consequence in the future that you're going to reflect on and be like, okay, I'm proud of what I did or, man, I wish I could change my life. I could change my history. I could change something about the way that I presented myself my past yeah that's kind of like that's one of my kind of favorite quotes and i may be misinterpreting a li- misinterpreting it a little bit but that's that's my perception of it no that's fantastic everything you said like it makes a lot of sense and i think a lot more people should like think that way like time's pretty precious you shouldn't just waste it mm-hmm. or take it for granted well guys i would like to thank all of you guys for coming in today spending time at your spring break to come in and talk about different branches and Maybe giving people a perspective of what different branches are, what we did, and why it's okay that we make fun of each other a little bit, and it's just all in good fun. So thank you. 